grateful to be able to gather together today and as a church family, also grateful to people joining us online, live streaming. We're one family together on campus and online, grateful for the technology as we really are navigating through something new, this coronavirus, and how are we going to respond? That's a question that's come up so many times this week. How are we going to respond? And the answer really is to abide, to abide and respond, to make one prayerful decision at a time and walk through this together. And I encourage you to avoid two extremes. And one extreme would be to underreact. To underreact would mean not washing our hands, not practicing you know, the best hygiene. Uh, also, underreacting would be to not pray. That would be underreacting. Underreacting would be if you have symptoms to not go see a doctor or you know, be careful not to spread anything that you have. Those are examples of underreacting. Then there's the other extreme of overreacting, to give in to all the fear and all the hype and all the panic and to believe everything you read on the internet and not check any facts at all. And these are really two extremes. Have you noticed a wide range of reactions this week? You might have a bent towards over or underreacting yourself. Uh, let's be careful to not just criticize and slam people that are either really scared or uh, maybe are a little naive about what's going on, but instead in love together. No one in our church has the coronavirus, but there are a lot of, let's say, friends, people in our church that have friends who right now are even fighting for their lives. And we know there's a lot of people mourning as people have died this week in the sound. So let's be prayerful. And let's also remember that this is a creative opportunity. When something like this is happening, where people are following Jesus, to abide with Jesus, but also look around. Because there's going to be opportunities to pray for people, reassure people, come alongside and serve people. There's going to be lots of new doors that open in relationships. And people are going to be sensing their need for God and God's help as well. So let's walk through this united, abiding together. Does that sound good? Amen. All right. Uh, also, I want to mention that starting this year, we've been really highlighting an awakening, crying out to God, not just like awakening, but want to live it and experience it. We don't know what God's even going to do through this time with coronavirus in our culture, but following Jesus, doing all he wants for an awakening. That email right there, if you email me and just say, I'm in, we start out with about 12 people and it's grown to a couple hundred now. And you just say, I'm in and we'll connect you or uh, sharing some different things together. We're walking through this together. I'll probably put this up once a month for the rest of the year, just to know that Everybody can come in and let's cry out to God. Let's seek him. Let's seek Jesus. Let's ask for him to do something amazing at this time in our lives as we sense he's on the move. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, thank you for our church family. Thank you how you meet us where we're at right now. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. God, this is how we walk through the challenges of life. The challenges of life will not stop our praise and giving you thanks with a grateful heart. Our confidence is in you. And Father, we're listening to you. Pray that you give us fresh vision today for our lives and for our church. And we would say yes to you and to your word. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. God wants to give us vision and also help us to make the best of every situation that we're in, even the difficult ones. That's where Paul is as he's writing to 2 Timothy, that letter. He's writing from a dungeon, from a Roman jail. It's just about 70 years AD. And uh, Paul, as tradition tells us, will be beheaded shortly after this. This is one of his final pieces of communication. And he's going to be you know, killed for the faith, as many of the apostles were. And Paul's writing this close to his heart. Timothy is close to his heart. The context is a close relationship. In Timothy, his dad is Greek. It doesn't appear that he follows Jesus. His mother and his also his grandmother are Jewish and they have faith. 
But Timothy is now really growing. He's spreading his wings in his faith. Paul says, you're my son in the faith. Maybe Paul led him to Jesus, but Paul has been his mentor and Paul has poured his life into Timothy. And now Timothy is in Ephesus in a difficult setting. He's in a position to lead a church in Ephesus. And Paul's writing this letter from his heart to build up Timothy in this close relationship and with a clear priority that they share. And this priority is multiplication. Multiplication, because that's God's priority. Two things today. Number one, will you receive a vision of multiplication that's throughout Scripture, that's from God? Will you receive that vision? And then second, will you commit to a life of multiplication? That's what Paul's asking Timothy to do. That's what Jesus does with the 12. That's what God does with us. He shares his vision of multiplication and asks us to commit to a life of multiplication. Let's dive into the text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You're going to be strongest when you receive God's grace. Grace and strength go together. So how does that work? Receiving Jesus, receiving God's grace every day. You have a strength that you know your identity. You're in God's family. You are secure. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You're loved. You also know the end story. You know your destiny. You'll spend eternity with God forever. And then each day, God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. He's powerful. He brings hope and joy. And you become strong in his grace. If you're looking for strength, just start receiving more of his grace because the more grace you receive, the stronger you'll be in the Lord and grace and strength go together. Grace is not wimpy. Now, Timothy needs to receive God's grace because for him, it's easy to be timid. And it could be his personality. Some people have a bent of just being scared a little quicker, a little more anxious, a little more worried. And Timothy could get timid easily. But also, we know Timothy is young. And if you're younger than the people around you, sometimes you look around and you say, wait a second, they're twice as old as I am, or they've been walking with God five times longer than I have, and you can get a little intimidated. Timothy's also in a new role in Ephesus. It's not going to be an easy setting. Maybe you stepped into a new job that seems pretty massive, and you're kind of wondering, God, did you pick the right person? I mean, are you sure you want me to? I don't think I have what it takes, God. And different things in our life can build up to make us timid. But here's the truth. Paul writes it to Timothy, God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but a power and love and self-discipline. When we feel that timidity, it's not coming from God, but we need to ask God's help and he will give us his power and his love and his grace is sufficient. And Timothy is receiving his grace and he's committing to a life of multiplication. In Jesus with the 12, Paul, Timothy, and Ephesus, God's building a kingdom And it's through multiplication. This is God's design from cover to cover in the Bible. And it's also his plan for us individually, in groups, and as a church as well. Here are five levels of a church, exponential ministry. Dave Ferguson, many pastors, church leaders put this together to help us think through the health of a church. Now, some churches subtracting. People are leaving. They're walking away from church, walking away from the faith. And what you see is a church that's dying. There's a lot of churches that don't exist right now that were here in our country five years ago. But they've subtracted, they're dying, and then they're finished. 
That's a reality. The second one is plateauing, where churches aren't experiencing growth. They're stuck. And a lot of times they're stuck in traditions and preferences, and they're not moving forward with God. They're not open to God's spirit. They just want what always has been, and they will guard that, and they will start plateauing because new wine, they're not interested in what God's doing today. And in America right now, over half the churches, I'll say it again, over half the churches are subtracting or plateauing. That's the state of things in our country. But look at this, adding, this can happen when, let's say someone moves in from out of town and is looking for a church, or someone hears about the church and comes, maybe enjoys a program, and a couple people are added. But more powerful is the fourth element, and this is reproducing. This is when you would lead someone to Jesus, and then they would join the church, and a life group would then birth another life group, or our church would plant a church. This is reproducing. And the final example is multiplying. Very few churches in our country are multiplying, but the ones that are, you see God doing amazing things. You lead someone to Jesus who then leads other people to Jesus. We plant a church that then plants more churches. Your life group births out a new leadership, another life group that then births another life group. A vision for multiplication. You learn things from the Lord. God gives you things. You give them to someone else and encourage them to do the same. That's the vision for multiplication. And that's how God builds up his kingdom. And you say, what does that look like? It could be one-on-one in groups as a church. Even our media ministry, pouring into people who then pour into other people. God's using our church to strengthen other churches, saturate the sound. We want to be a church that has a vision and a commitment in our lives individually and overall to multiplication because this is from the Lord. And you say, well, well, why is this so rare? Our church is really, we've seen the last five years in so many ways gone from subtracting to plateauing to adding to reproducing. I believe we're on the verge of really multiplying. We're seeing some of it already, but here we go. And it's a fun adventure. It gets exciting when that happens. You say, well, why is it so rare then? Why do churches not do this? Well, it can be difficult. It can be a lot of reliance on the Lord. It can be a shift in catching up with God in the Bible. I didn't realize that that's God's plan for ministry. And there's challenges. There's a spiritual battle as well. And you put all this together, it's just easier to stop short, to settle for less than multiplication, to settle for much less than that, and to kind of shrink back. But that's not what God wants. Paul knows this. That's why he's pouring into Timothy this vision. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, And to encourage Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. There's three metaphors. That's uh, someone in the military, then an athlete, and then a farmer. Think about people you know who are serving in the military, athletes or farmers, and think of who's inspired you. All right, just by show of hands, can you think of anyone that's a soldier that's really inspired you or inspiring you right now? How many people would say that? Do you know a soldier who is? Okay, many. How about an athlete? Anyone you admire, their dedication, and they've inspired you, had a big part of your life? Okay. How about farmer? I know this isn't exactly agricultural right here, but how many farmers do you know? 
Yeah, still many hands. Every service, many hands with these strings. When I lived in Iowa, my appreciation for farmers grew immensely. Uh, when you think about these different roles, a soldier, when they, starting at boot camp, the capacity is going to grow. They're not going to whine and complain. They're not going to shrink back. They're going to make sacrifices and they know they're on a mission. They're on a mission much greater than just themselves. Now, what about an athlete? An athlete has so much training behind the scenes that no one sees. People watch the game, but the training, the dedication, and getting up early in the morning to start that. An athlete's going to go for the prize. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, live your life, run the race like you're going after the prize. Don't go to the left or the right or stick your hand to the plow and look back, right? You run the race to win the prize, which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that, that means that a lot of prizes for athletes, they're going to fade, but we're running after something that is eternal and far outweighs them all. And then what about farmers? Farmers have a great sense of timing. Farmers know when to sow seed, right? Farmers are sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed. They know a harvest is coming. And what do you do? Sow the word of God. Sow more seed. Sow more seed. You break up the hard ground. You sow the seed. You got a sense of timing. You just keep sowing the seed and you know a harvest is coming. Diligence, dedication with all three. Howard Hendricks, one of my seminary professors, uh, what he observed over the decades is that people that God led into ministry from these backgrounds, pastors who had been either in the military or athletes or in a farming community, that they came to ministry with just, they're going for it. God had, in that discipline, God had built things into them that now under the lordship of Jesus and following him, they're going to run after it. They're going to go for it in such a way. And of course, everyone can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but all of us have gifts when they're under the lordship of Jesus. And instead of running after maybe some earthly things and petty things, we run after God's best, even a ministry of multiplication. Paul says to Timothy, think about the soldier, think about the athlete, think about the farmer and spend some time. Spend some time. Spend some time this week and consider what is God's calling on your life with multiplication? What is God's calling on your life? Think about these metaphors and then say yes to the Lord. I think one of the most important aspects of life is knowing what is worth sacrificing for and how much you'll sacrifice for it. Because the desired results here all involve sacrifice and discipline. And to know in life what is worth sacrificing for, to invest your time and talent and treasure in the kingdom of God, to invest your life in other lives, life on life, person to person. That's how God's kingdom is built, through relationships. What is worth it? And then you say, yes, and I'll sacrifice. I'll take the hit and I'll be faithful. And you move forward in this ministry of multiplication. Timothy has taken this to heart. I mean, this is a cherished letter. When your mentor sends you a, a personal letter like this, Timothy's taken it to heart. And there's a little bit more encouragement here. In verse 8, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. When this gets difficult, remember Jesus Christ. He is raised from the dead. He's descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. There are false teachers all around Ephesus. There's so many distorted teachings and lies. And at the core of every cult is an inaccurate view of Jesus. At the core of every dead church, at the core of every 
piece of religion that's off base is a faulty view of Jesus. The most important things in our life are to get an accurate view of Jesus to who he really is. In my own life, when my view of Jesus is off and I'm not trusting him and believing who he really is, I will choose sin. In our own lives each day, in our families, in our church, a healthy view of just remember who Jesus really is. And out of that, uh, Paul says, you know, stand firm in the truth. Stand with the Lord. False teachers abound. Don't be discouraged. And Paul says, look, I'm in chains like a criminal. Paul hasn't done anything wrong, just persecuted for the faith. He says, I'm in chains, but God's word is unstoppable. God's word cannot be chained. Craig Groeschel is a pastor, well-known pastor. I think maybe the largest church in America right now. He is in quarantine for two weeks because of exposure to the coronavirus. But he's saying, be encouraged. He said, he's just working on sermons for the next few months. You know, be encouraged. Someone else is going to fill in. You know what? God's word, it doesn't matter if Paul's in prison, it's going to move forward. It doesn't matter if Craig Rochelle's in quarantine, it's going to move forward. When you sleep at night, God's word is reaching more people. When you take a nap during the day, God's kingdom grows. God's work is unstoppable and God will continue to change lives around the globe because he loves people from every nation and people are turning to him. He cannot be stopped no matter the circumstances. And Timothy's taking this in, saying, yes, yes, this is the truth about how all of us are wired. We are wired to multiply. We are made to multiply. We're all made in God's image. We're all wonderfully made, and we're made to multiply. This starts the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, that has a physical aspect to it that, yes, we're going to go from two people, Adam and Eve, to seven billion people. All right? How does that happen? Multiplication. There's a physical aspect to this. But there's also many other aspects to being fruitful in multiplying. I would, I would propose this. You are continually spreading and multiplying different things. Do you realize it? Right? Some people are multiplying different products that they like, that they've bought. Some people, they multiply entertainment. You gotta watch this show. You gotta watch this movie. Or get this book, read this book, and then tell someone else about the book. Uh, other people gonna multiply, let's say, uh, skills, hobbies. You have someone do it with you, and then now they're doing it with other people. You can multiply your attitude. If it's an attitude of fear, if it's an attitude of faith, that can get multiplied with the people around you. Praise the Lord that YouTube has instructional videos if you're not handy at home. And you know what happens? One little video, you learn how to do it, you tell someone else, and then there it goes with the technology. Politics right now, people are trying to multiply their opinions. They will try to persuade you this, this year. There's so much multiplication going on, and a lot of people never stop and realize how much or what they're multiplying. But you are every day, you're spreading and multiplying so much and it's wise to stop and think about, okay, what am I going to choose to intentionally multiply? Because we're all multiplying. Here's three categories with multiplying. Things can be destructive. The coronavirus right now. As it spreads, people are dying, people are getting sick, fear levels are rising. Uh, there's one person in our church who now lives in Florida that was so moved by some of the suffering that he sold his car, $2,800, just sold his car to help people who are suffering right now. Uh, that's a reminder. As things spread that are destructive, you think about cancer, 
Think about pornography. I mean, there's so many things in our culture that spread rapidly and are destructive. That's the wake-up call for followers of Jesus to follow that and say, oh, cancer's spreading rapidly. Who can I help? Who can I pray for? Who can I care for? Uh, pornography is destroying marriages and homes. Okay, how can I walk in purity and help others to break free from bondage and addiction and walk in purity? The follower of Jesus looks around at the destructive patterns and says, let's stop this. Let's tackle injustice. With God's help, let's do it together. There's destructive multiplication. And then there's a lot of multiplication of stuff that honestly just isn't really that important. Have you ever been watching an advertisement and thinking like, yeah, this isn't that important? Do you know how many ads you watch? Well, when I was growing up, I was reading statistics. This was several decades ago. The average person every day experienced 500 ads. But do you know right now, the average person experiences about 5,000 ads a day. 5,000. Do you know how much time we're spending on our screens and devices? Like it just keeps climbing. Five, six, seven, eight, nine hours a day. There's ads everywhere. So everyone is promoting their stuff. And this was interesting. I read that we spend $86 million a year to block some of the $20 billion we spend on ads. So we spend millions of dollars to try to block the billions of dollars in advertising. It's out of control right now, the amount of advertising. And you know what? For a follower of Jesus, we got to kind of stop sometimes and think, wait a second, what am I? Am I just promoting a bunch of stuff that at the end of the day doesn't really matter that much? Or am I really promoting what's life-giving and what's eternal? and what's most important, and what changes lives, and the love of God, the Word of God. And now you think about Michelle's story in multiplication, starting out in Laos, in that journey where she's so grateful for some of the military help on her journey, then affecting her that she'll serve in the military courageously. And then you think about uh, some of the multiplication in her life, forgiving other people. And through her story, more people are encouraged to forgive other people. Someone came up to me after last service and says, I'm forgiving. I feel so free right now. You think about having two children with special needs and autism. And then multiplication is caring for other moms who are in that community, sharing Jesus and how he's changed her life, sharing her story. All of us, it's powerful. When you see God's vision in your life for multiplication and you enter in, God is going to do far beyond what you could imagine. So let's commit to that kind of a lifestyle. You say, well, I'm not really sure. Is that really all of Scripture? Is this just one letter in the Bible? And, and let's take a look and consider some other passages. This is in the Old Testament. Again, God's design. We would commit to this. Numbers 11, the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Moses was just saying to God, God, I can't carry this burden anymore. I can't do it, God. I can't carry the burden of the people. And God says, time to multiply, Moses. And that echoes the advice he got from his father-in-law. His father-in-law Jethro showed up and said, Moses, you can't handle all this. You're not going to last under this kind of strain. You need to raise up people over a hundred, raise up people over a thousand. People are trustworthy, people who honor God. And you know what? Then you'll be able to, to make it. You won't get burned out and the people will be satisfied. Have you dealt with burnout in your life at all? Do you ever just get so wiped out, exhausted, 
trying to do this and that. You know, the problem should point us to a solution. In the Bible, so often the solution to burnout is instead of trying to do it all alone, instead of going individual and it's all on me and I just got to do more, do more, do more. I see so many people in pastors and ministry, just it's all on me. I got to do more. I got a calling. I got to do more, do more, do more. And instead the answer is equip. Let people spread their wings. Raise up leaders. I'm so grateful that in all the ministries here, children's ministry downstairs, leaders, raise up leaders, student ministry, raise up leaders, life group leaders, raise up leaders. That's our church. That's health is that more people are using their gifts for the Lord. And then look what God will do together uh, beyond what we can imagine. Uh, This was a creative example of some multiplication at RPI, which is a college in New York. They, the track team, wanted some Chick-fil-A for lunch. You ever wanted Chick-fil-A for lunch? Uh, fortunately, Chick-fil-A is pretty close. in and out Burger, uh, ha- have a good road trip on that one. They wanted some Chick-fil-A, but the closest Chick-fil-A was 90 minutes away. There's no way they could get Chick-fil-A for lunch and make it back to campus. But the captain of the team, Vincent, captain's got to be creative. Captain realized there's a Chick-fil-A in the Albany airport next to campus. But the only way you can get to Chick-fil-A at the Albany airport is if you have a ticket. So they found the most affordable one-way ticket. It was to Fort Lauderdale, less than $100. And they all put in $5.50 and bought a one-way ticket that I think no one used. But uh, check with the captain to see if he's in Fort Lauderdale. But anyways, uh, they, they got their lunch. They got their chicken sandwiches, their chicken uh, nuggets. They got fries. They got everything they wanted. The total lunch cost $18. Uh, they enjoyed their lunch together, the cross-country team. And I think I think they realized that we're better together. We could have never done this alone. And we might not be in that exact same situation, but I'll tell you the situation we're going to be in again and again is to realize that God wants to do something that we couldn't do alone, but together, if we unite, watch what God will do. This is God's pattern throughout the Bible. Take a look at the book of Ezra this week. You know, this is how the process works. In the book of Ezra, chapter one, God stirs hearts. How is God stirring your heart? Pay attention to God's stirring, his nudges. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? They're listening to God. God has a stirring. Why? Because the people are in exile in Babylon and God wants to lead them back. Jerusalem's a mess. It's broken down physically, spiritually, morally. God is raising up a people at that time in exile. God stirs in Cyrus's heart king of Persia. And you know what happens after stirring? They say yes to participation with generosity and love. Then they say yes to collaboration. At this point, not just one or 2,000, but over 40,000. And they say yes to restoration. God restores a city. God can restore our city. God can restore our nation. How does it work? He stirs hearts. People say yes. They enter in participation, collaboration, restoration to God's glory. God can do it. God can do it. We want to be faithful. It's easy in the times we're living in to just point fingers and say, oh, now look what that person did. Oh, and this is what's wrong. And I can't believe our culture's doing that. And just start slamming people and get negative and super critical and not being part of the solution. But do you ever stop and think for a minute, maybe we've got a responsibility? Maybe if the church was multiplying like God wants us to, maybe the culture would be very different. 
maybe we have quite a big role in the state of things today in our country. So what would it look like to repent and change? Well, I think of three things, for example, that I hear all the time in ministry. They've come up every year. It's this, how do I pray? How do I read the Bible? How do I share my faith? If I was going to pick the big three, like how do you do these things? That's what comes up. How do you pray? How do you study the Bible? How do you share your faith? Now think of your own situation today. Would you say yes to one of those? Yes to all three? Where are you at in your journey with God? Would you say, yeah, I'm doing that. Yes, I know how to pray and I'm praying. I know how to read the Bible and I know how to share my faith. If you're saying yes to all three, then I challenge you, who are you helping? Who are you helping to learn to do those three things? Because so many people in our church know how to do those and so many people in our church don't. And praise God for where everyone's at in the journey. But if you know how to do all three, then it's time to find a Timothy and say, not just explain how to do it, but actually pray together so they learn. Actually study the Bible so they learn how to study the Bible. Actually share your faith together. They learn how to share their faith. It's time to multiply in that regard. And if you're here and you don't know how to do one of those, I encourage you to say, I want to learn. I want to learn. And there's so many, there's hundreds of people here that would be honored to say, let's do it together. See, this is God's design for a healthy body together. And, and I believe that if the church wakes up, if the church becomes healthy, the church starts multiplying what God wants us to do and say and treat each other, there's going to be an awakening. There's going to be a revolution when the church wakes up and says, yes, this is God's plan. This is so good. Um, what are you already excited about? You know, if you're learning something new in the Bible, show somebody else. If God's speaking to you through a song, share that song with somebody else. Just be part of some of that movement that God's doing right now and wants to do. And uh, you might say, well, this, this sounds difficult. God will not call you to something that he doesn't give you the grace to do. He will not call you to do something that he doesn't give you the grace to do. You say, well, it's getting more difficult in our culture. Secularism has a way of silencing Christians, suffocating Christians and intimidating Christians and making Christians sleepy and scared. Secularism has a way of doing that. And that's why I want to also include this passage because for Timothy, it's going to get more difficult. The apostles, it's going to get more difficult. Take heart from Acts chapter 8. Watch what happens. Persecution is going to increase. Rejection of Jesus is increasing. Those two always go together. In our country, there'll be more persecution the more people reject Jesus. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. There's the first martyr. And they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. This is later going to be the Apostle Paul. Saul destroying the church like a boar running through the vineyard, just destroying things, beating people up, brutally, physically, violently, going from house to house, dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, what did the church do? Did they get more silent and more intimidated and more scared? No, look at Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The persecution rose and the multiplication rose. Persecution doesn't have the final say. Do you know what's going on in China these days? Be so encouraged. We have brothers and sisters in China. Pray for them. The persecution keeps rising. You know what happened? Faith in Jesus keeps multiplying. Why? Because they know God's vision. They know God's calling and they're committed to do it no matter what price that it costs. 
Be encouraged what you read about here. This is the DNA of our faith. Be encouraged by your Savior. When persecution comes, doesn't shrink back, but instead more bold, living for God. This diaspora, this scattering, it also means that last part of the word means a sowing of seed. Wherever they go, they're going to go to Samaria, fill up, Awakening's going to break out in Samaria. This is God's pattern of how he works through the church. This is our DNA. And, and you might say multiplication sounds a little cognitive, mathematical, formula. It's not. It's relationships. It's a huge heart of love. And it's God's love. Here's the heart. What I see with multiplication. This is a picture right here from the news. That boy is Cohen. He's two years old. And that's the pizza delivery man. And his parents were very surprised when he ran out and gave the pizza delivery man a hug. They said, Cohen has never done this before. And uh, I don't know, it's beyond pizza, folks. It was something God was doing. But uh, when this delivery man showed up, this is the video footage from their doorbell, the camera there. And they put on social media because they thought it was so sweet. Cohen even tried to kiss the delivery man, tried to kiss Ryan. The parents were like, no, 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 you can't kiss him. So he was blowing kisses. And they had no idea what was going on in Ryan's life. Ryan showed up with a pizza. Ryan has recently lost his 16-year-old daughter, Alyssa. He's grieving immensely, but he's still delivering pizza to pay the bills. And his daughter, 16-year-old, just died. And as the parents posted this, they had no idea. And then when Ryan saw this, he shared the story. And he said how much he needed that hug from little Cohen. And his parents recognized that this is God working through their son. This is God guiding their son to bring love. God will bring love through anyone who has a heart ready to receive from God and bring that love. And now the family is also helping to pay for the funeral for Alyssa, 16 years old. And you see the story and the multiplication through social media and the multiplication of love through Ryan and Cohen. And there's just any situation, the most difficult situations, abide and respond and watch what God will do with great love. Let's think about this. Worship. Who and what do you really worship? Not do you say you worship, but you really worship. Because who and what you really worship that's what you're going to multiply and spread. What's most important to you is directly connected with what you multiply and spread the most. We need to worship and fall in love with Jesus all over again. And may it lead to Jesus' love and Jesus' conversations because it's so easy to be chasing after so many other things. You say, well, how does God work? Does he work through subtraction? Sometimes. God will subtract sin out of our lives. He will break sin patterns in our lives. He will prune. He will simplify. There's some subtraction. God will also work through addition. He'll add more opportunities. He'll give you some more resources. God will add some things to your life. But God's primary way of building his kingdom has always been and will always be through multiplication. And it's from cover to cover. It's what Jesus was committed to. It's Paul and Timothy. It's the history of the church. And it's the answer today. Because people today need the Lord. They need the joy of the Lord. They need the peace of the Lord. And that you just can't pull that out of nowhere. God works through his people who say, yes, God, I see the vision so clearly. And God, I confess, God, right now we confess that we settle for less. We're often stubborn, selfish, and it's so easy, God, to be intimidated by a secular culture. God, would you bring a fresh vision? God, we bring a fresh yes to this ministry, Jesus, that you called us into this movement that's unstoppable through your word. And we say yes today afresh. 
And we want to worship you. Want to worship you. We offer ourselves in worship now. We pray in your name. Amen.